Welcome back. We are gonna have quite a ride today. If you thought last week with 1 Corinthians 5 was convoluted, many layers of difficulty, well, you were right, but you're not gonna get any rest at all in chapters six and seven. And frankly, you're not gonna get a lot of rest in the book of Corinthians. And so just hang on and be aware that this is one of the issues that some people have with Paul. Now, most uh, evangelical Christians, I would say, and an awful lot of Protestant Christians of all stripes have been raised to say that, well, Paul wrote only the exact words which God gave him to write down. He, he was like a secretary being dictated by the Holy Spirit. And that the Bible is easy to understand if you approach it with a pure and good heart. These people have caused wreckage throughout Christian history. Because when you read some of these passages, you're going, wait, what? Uh, but what, what does that mean? And what's he referring to? And so what happens then is uh, schools of theology over the centuries, this is, over the millennia, actually, to over 2,000 years, try to backfill a lot of this and explain or explain away a lot of what Paul is saying. One of the early leaders in the Restoration Movement was David Lipscomb, and he said we always need to remember that Paul was a human trying to apply what he had learned about Jesus to different situations he was facing. Now, when I said that same thing, I was called a heretic by a fellow who um, was running one of the papers that David Lipscomb um, had founded many years ago. You see, by this time, it was you couldn't say that. By this time, if you were a Bible-believing Christian, you had to accept that we have exactly the words of God written in this book in such a way that the honest heart of anyone could understand it. Which always made me a little uncomfortable whenever Philip finds the Ethiopian eunuch in the desert and he says, do you understand what you're reading? And the guy goes, well, how can you? unless somebody explains it to you. Interesting that God would put a story right there in the New Testament for us to see. This is difficult stuff. And by the way, I'm aware that the Ethiopian eunuch was reading Isaiah, which is what we would call the Old Testament, but which is probably more accurately called the Hebrew Scriptures or the First Testament or something like that. We are reading somebody else's mail. And worse than that, we're only reading one side of the conversation. And worse than that, we're not reading all of that one side of the conversation. The book of Corinthians that we call 1 Corinthians is almost certainly 2 Corinthians because it seems to have come in response to a response to an earlier book. And 2 Corinthians absolutely is not the second, but probably the fourth because it refers to an earlier letter we don't even have. Now, if this upsets you and you're ready to hit the stop button and run away, before you do, and you always have the right to do that, before you do that, please remember, we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. When you're confused, when you don't know what it is exactly that's going on and you wonder, am I saved and how do I live? Go read the Gospels. Keep them in your head. And then when you run into some really rocky territory, like we're here doing, you'll be okay. 
because you can always default by running back to Jesus. When Jesus, Jesus will get you home, all right? Now, I happen to think that Paul was inspired by God. But when I say inspired, I don't mean word for word. And that's one of our problems. When we use words, the definitions get very, very tricky, don't they? So I'm gonna show you through this. We've already shown you once in Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians, where Paul goes, uh, I'm so glad I didn't baptize anybody there except this guy, oh, and then this guy, and, and if I baptized any more, I don't remember it. Well, that's proof positive God wasn't dictating these words because God wouldn't have forgotten such a thing. But he was inspiring Paul to take the theology he knew, to take all of the, well, the Hebrew scriptures, in which he was quite the master, and his personal contact with Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, obviously, but also <coughs> it seems there was a period of time in the desert, as he said, for years in Arabia. Uh, and Arabia doesn't mean Saudi Arabia, it's, it's just a blanket term uh, that he learned. And he said, I didn't learn it from any man, I learned it from God. So huge respect for Paul, and we have to pay very close attention to what he says. But let's not pretend that it's always easy. First Corinthians 6, he said, there's a problem in Corinth. There are problems everywhere. They're taking each other to court. They're suing each other. And he says, what, what are you doing? But the way he says it, uh, a lot of people just skip right past that one. He goes, don't you know, starting chapter six, uh, verse one, if any of you have a dispute with each other, do you dare take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? In other words, why aren't you talking to the whole church, your, your faith community? Now by this, he's not talking about publishing an open letter on Facebook. He's not talking about going viral with a um, TikTok video or Instagram post or the like. No, your faith community, the Lord's people, is. Who do you meet with? Who do you worship with? Take it to them and say, am I crazy? Is this right? How should we settle this? But then he goes further. He goes, if you're to judge the world, aren't you competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Um... We're going to judge angels there is some of that in scripture uh, there is some of that and it is never unpacked as we might say it is never explained the word angels by the way is a very very broad word it doesn't always mean heavenly messengers it means messenger the word angelos means a messenger so i'm not really sure the mechanics of all of this it's one of those things well okay but people tend to either rush to backfill all of this with a bunch of scriptures and then try to make it make sense, or they just say, and move on. I think what we ought to do is say, we don't really know much about the spiritual world, and we don't really know much about the end of the world. We like to think we do. In fact, I read a commentary on the First Corinthians recently where this guy thought, this is all going to be sorted out in the 1,000-year reign of Jesus in Jerusalem, and here's how the courts will work as we judge the angels. And I'm going, where did you get any of this? Well, like we do on Mondays, who told you 
you do tracing. Who told you that? And because of my, my work in science, I just can't take something and go, okay, I'm, I, if I see a thread, I'm gonna pull it until the sweater is gone. And you find that they, they backfill it trying to explain this and make it easy. It isn't easy. <clears throat> Don't know much about <clears throat> what's gonna happen after this. Jesus did say that if you're faithful over a few things, I'll make you ruler over many. Hmm, it's exciting. I believe it, but I don't know what he means. I believe it just because he said it, and I believe Jesus. So, what's this about judging angels? Well, Paul was using it to bolster his argument, and like I said, there are scriptures you can run to that say the same thing. So they would have known those scriptures, some of them would have known those scriptures. And he goes, is, is, is there something wrong with you guys that there's nobody smart enough in your group that you can go to and, and both the disputants sit down and say, here's my case, here's my case. How do we do this like Jesus? That, and see, that was the whole point. They didn't want to do it like Jesus. They wanted revenge. They wanted punitive damages. They wanted this, they wanted that. In fact, Paul then goes further and he goes, the very fact that there are lawsuits among you show how corrupt you are. You've, you've already, in verse seven, you've been completely defeated. Now, I want you to think about that. Now, he's not talking about, um, you know, I saw two weeks ago, uh, a guy driving a uh, cable uh, truck, very, very famous cable company, uh, zipped right through, right through a red light intersection. He had 10 seconds to see the red light and he, didn't, he wasn't paying attention. And at 45 miles an hour broadsided a car full of people. Now, I was on the scene, but I was not with the people in the car. Uh, I popped off to the side of the road. The police were there extremely quickly. Well done, Florence, Alabama. Ambulance was there extremely quickly. Again, well done, Florence. Uh, and I stood to the side as the police popped out. One of them looked at me and he said, witness? And I said, yes, sir. And he said, stand right there. And I went, yes, sir. By the way, those of you that are thinking, wait, Patrick, you know, you're, you got neuroscience. Why didn't you run over and help the people? because I wouldn't know what to do. Uh, there are people on site that are qualified. Those EMTs, those nurses, those nurse practitioners, all of those far more qualified to handle what's going on there. But again, what I was told by the police, they're gonna be fine, which is just really hard to believe. I'm not sure what kind of car they were driving, but probably should find out and get one. They, but they're gonna be hurt. Do they have the right to sue the company for what happened to them? Absolutely. Should they sue for more than their losses? Yeah, because I'm, I'm guessing the rest of their life has now been modified. They're gonna have pains and they're gonna have issues that are, uh, that are ongoing, uh, chronic, and they're gonna get some that develop later because of, so yes. So we're not talking about things like this. We're not talking about the realtor sold you a house but didn't tell you that uh, the last three people that lived there murdered somebody by the way by law they have to tell you that and so you go ah so you sue the realtor that's not what's going on here this is if your realtor was a christian pulling this kind of stunts paul says don't don't do this don't take it before the courts you take it before the family of faith because here's this is the important bit 
You don't understand chapter, chapter five or six until you get this. The worst possible thing that could happen to you was not death, because everybody knew you're gonna die. It wasn't financial loss, because you were always prepared to be a pauper, uh, money systems being what they were. It was getting thrown out of your faith community. Worst possible thing. That's why Paul said not fellowshipping with this guy in chapter 5 was equivalent to handing him over to Satan. He's out of the safety, the love, and the fellowship of the group. Sadly, churches that do practice excommunication or disfellowship, whatever they call it, shunning is uh, what they call it in many Mennonite and Amish communities, uh, they don't quite get there in time because the other person's already disfellowshipped them. And so there's no real consequence. We wait, wait, wait. I don't think we ought to pull the trigger very quick either. But I need to also stress to all of us that we live in 2021 when this is recorded. I have no idea when you watch it. And that's, um, that's a very different world than back here because back here, this is, your group was your survival. Think about this. <clears throat> Maybe your great grandmama <clears throat> did get married at 14. Things like that did happen wasn't nearly as common as people say, but things like that happened. Then, you, <clears throat> then her great-great-granddaughter is saying, well, then why can't I date when I'm 14? And the response is, well, uh, because first of all, 14 is very different now than it was then. Even in education, they had, they, everything was very different. Plus, when you're, she was 14, what did she have to know? Basic cow? Sewing 101, and besides, they're gonna she's gonna live right there. <clears throat> There's gonna be a little cabin, we're gonna build it. And mom and dad are here, grandparents, if they're alive, are over here. But their aunts and their uncles or family, you were in a community that taught, that worked, that solved problems, that was invested in you because of blood. That world isn't here now for those of us in the West. So it's hard to apply some of this because our faith community, and I live in the Nashville area, people spend their entire lives here hopping from church to church. I'm not saying that's a sin, it's just reality. And ministers hop from church to church. It is amazing to watch. Therefore, they don't really have a great community there. And if they got, if they moved on, they don't feel a loss. Here, it was worse than death. So he's saying, keep it in the community. Don't, it's kind of like taking off muddy shoes before you come in your house. That's the world. This is us. Behave accordingly. That's really what he's doing. And then he has to deal with <clears throat> something which... It really starts here, but then um, it flows through the next, uh, oh, the rest of this chapter. And then he begins dealing with some specifics in chapter 7. And that is this, this concept of, I am saved, which you are. I'm utterly saved, and you are. And the blood of Christ continually cleanses us from all sins. And it does. 
therefore, I can do whatever I want to do. No. <clears throat> no, no, that's not the point. And so he has to, verse 12, you know, I have the right to do anything. And he goes, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I'll not be mastered by anything. And he goes, you say food for the stomach and the stomach for food. Now, if you're wondering, what does that mean? <clears throat> well, there's a surface layer and then there's a lower layer. This is a very common phrase among philosophers, but not among Christians, not among the Jews, but among philosophers. It went something like this. If the gods created my stomach to have an appetite, then the gods are pleased if I eat to satisfy that appetite. Now, that sounds really pretty logical at first, first glance there first hearing, uh, except for the gods thing. We would quibble there, wouldn't we? One would hope, but watch out. This isn't Peter and Cornelius here. Uh, this isn't <clears throat> saying, well, you know, God created our stomachs and we're allowed to eat good food. Yeah, you're allowed to eat food. God created taste centers on your tongue, um, which are all over, by the way, that those maps you see in textbooks that say salt, sugar, no. All the taste buds do the job. God did that for us. There's a chemical that tells us when we're hungry. There's a chemical that tells us when we're full. All of these things God created. But this expression was used to excuse gluttony and drunkenness, which are really the same thing in the mindset of the first century overfilling with anything. Um, drunkenness and gluttony are sometimes hard to figure out which one God's talking about because in effect they're the same thing. But they're saying, hey, it's not my fault. God gave me this appetite. Now do you see where the second layer comes in? Well, God designed me to be a sexual person so I can have sex. And uh, God designed this drive in me. Who am I? Who am I to say that God did something wrong? And who is God to give me an appetite but then not let me satisfy that appetite. Now you see where we're going. And, and with the complications in chapter five, we talked about people are coming in who have more than one wife. People are coming in who have had a succession of wives or husbands. Um, people are coming in with all kinds of sexual entanglements. Now, what do you do? What do you do with these people? How do you work with them? That's what's going on here. So first of all, he, he goes to the, the very confident ones who know philosophy and who know what the great poets have said. Poets were the scientists, philosophers, social scientists, and political leaders of their time, or thought leaders at least, uh, of this age. Um, they didn't just write sonnets. Um, which, by the way, is a real skill. Didn't mean to blow that off and just act like there's nothing. But these, they, they really went for deep insights. And so the philosophers, you got Socrates, you got Plato, you got all of that, right? Aristotle. Um, and they're saying, well, God gave us these appetites. Now, what do we do with them? And there were really two mindsets going here, and that's super simplifying. 
It is super simplifying. And you're welcome because you don't want me not to simplify this. They had two mindsets. One was um, if God or the gods gave us all of these appetites, then we are free to indulge them and that pleases the gods. And if you know stories of mythology, a lot of gods indulged every thought and feeling they had, whether it was sex, rape, war, killing, and so going with that. The other side said, uh, these appetites are evil because they keep us from being one of the gods. We have to shut down and punish the body so that the spirit can be better and closer to the gods. Problem is, neither one of these work. And Paul's having to deal with both of them because they, these rivers have come into the church. Because when you bring people into your faith community, they bring their past and they bring their present. And they're not, you know, they can accept that Jesus Christ is, is the Son of God and be thrilled with him and not know that changes all that other knowledge they've got in their head. And so they're still very excited about all that stuff. So he says, you are your bodies, verse 15. You are members of Christ himself. This whole passage deals with this. So let me just hit the, the headline, all right? There's a false dichotomy between body, spirit, and soul. Um, your, your spirit and your soul, your spirit is that thing which lasts forever. Your soul is the breath and the life within you, and then your body. There is a false dichotomy here. It's almost a Cartesian um, dichotomy that, that says, well, or Descartian rather, Cartesian, Descartian um, uh, dualism that says, your body is one thing and your spirit is the other. You'll even hear people say, and I understand what they're saying and I'm not criticizing it, when they say that we are not um, bodies having a spiritual experience at church, we are spirits that are merely having a physical uh, experience as we're alive on earth. I understand where they're going with, and going to rather with it, and their point they're trying to make, and, and it's, a, it's a fine point, it is. But if you get really into this, what you do with your body, what you do in your body, and what you tell your body to do is connected to your eternity. You're not, and I'm not talking about just being judged in the last day. Your body is important to God. You are important to God. He, he wants you to bring yourself as a living sacrifice so that people see you as salt and light in the city set on a hill. They see Christ in you. As he puts it here, your bodies are members of Christ himself. We have a, a very, very dear friend that my son calls Jesus with estrogen because everything she says and does and has to us over the years, over the decades now actually, has been soaked in love, grace, forgiveness, mercy. She is Christ to my son. Now that he knows that she's a human being, don't get crazy and grab things out of context, but she lives in such a way that we see Christ. And I'm hoping that could be said of all of us to different degrees. And everybody has bad days, bad months, and bad seasons. But I'm hoping we understand this, that our body is not icky and bad and full. Of, it is something God wants to show the world his son. 
and our spirit and body are linked. In fact, he says, if you unite yourself with the prostitute, you're one with her in body, and even quotes, the two will become one flesh, back all the way back in Genesis. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. So don't do this thing of, um, well, it doesn't really matter what my body does. God knows my heart. Paul would have a real issue with that. Frankly, I think Jesus would have a real issue with that as well. He, he says, flee sexual immorality. And I really appreciate the choice of verb here. I, you know, Paul, well done. And, and God, if you gave him this particular verb, <laughs> well, of course, well done, God. But why do I like the flee? Because it doesn't say, be strong, face it down. Say, fie upon you. I will have nothing to do with, no, run, get out, go. Why? Because it's safer. It's safer just to get out of there. It is safer to run away than it is to try to stay there and stare it down. Sometimes you need to run. Sometimes you need to move your family from one city to another. Sometimes you have to change schools or change churches or change groups. Sometimes you gotta get out of there. All other sins that says a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. That's really tough. It's really tough to, to bring this into 2021. But the idea is there, your past is now changed. You've sinned against yourself. Now, I don't know that this is what Paul was going for, but let me just tell you this. One of the great tragedies in the sexual liberation movement that uh, went, you know, free love movement that hit in the 60s and blossomed and ran rampant until AIDS uh, in, the, in the late 80s and then just morphed into now once again free uh, free sex free love in any form or fashion one of the great tragedies is what happens when you meet somebody with whom you truly connect and you finally decide this is my person for life I'm marrying this person and you in a truly old-fashioned way but in the way God intended choose to give yourselves to each other and to no one else the rest of your life. If you're not seeing a problem in that yet, I'm not talking about sexually transmitted diseases that you could be bringing into the family. No, I'm talking about ghost. Ghost. Because your wife or your husband will age. They will change. Those young people you had wild times with, in your head, those ghosts don't age. Now, later on, you might see a picture of them on Facebook and go, oh, but in your head, they're always 19. They're always 25. You're sinning against your future. You're sinning against your partner because now you compare them and that's not fair. It's not fair when somebody ages to compare them with somebody younger. So it's a sin. It's a sin. It's a, it's a missing of the mark. It's a failure. Now, of course God forgives. Of course God can cleanse you.
but you're going to have those memories. That that's just that's part of your life now. And God says, let's just not put them in there in the first place. Your bodies, verse 19, are temples of the Holy Spirit. Second time he's told us this. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Wow. Wow. Okay. I'm going to let that be the lesson. Uh, there, we're going to move on. But I, I don't want to move much with it. Just honor God with your bodies today. Figure out a way to do it. And if you, and if you have a great story to share, Patrick Mead, I'm sorry, Patrick at OurSafeHarbor.com. Uh, fire away emails. I do try to answer them all. And if I didn't answer yours, would you please try again? My junk mail filter has decided to get a little over aggressive. And I'm sorry, but I am finding things that I didn't know were sent a week or two weeks ago. So please make sure I get it. Verse, um, um, chapter 7, please remember they did not have chapters or verses back in. We're not going to do all of chapter 7. We're going to get it started. You need to know what's going on in chapter 7, though, because it goes all the way through chapter 14. They had sent a list of questions, some of which sound like assertions. And now he's going to be answering them. If you don't understand that this is a series of questions and or assertions, and that Paul is unwrapping and answering, then you're going to get really confused, and a lot of people really do. Here's a prime example. Chapter 7, verse 1. Now the matter she wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Now that's the NIV being the NIV, and I love the NIV, but they really didn't need to do that because uh, most manuscripts are saying it's good for a man not to touch a woman are closer to really where I think Paul wanted to go. You see, Eve made that mistake with Satan. Satan said, can we eat? Can you eat of any of the trees? And she goes, we can eat of any of the trees, but we can't eat of this tree. We can't even touch it. Well, God didn't say don't touch it. God never said don't touch it. She overspoke for God. She said things God didn't say to protect God and state her position and don't do that. Don't do it. If God didn't say it, let's pull back a bit, shall we? Whole churches and movements have been launched on its, what God wants is for us not to have sex or for our clergy not to have sex, certainly not to be married. Think of the Shakers, a movement that almost entirely American launched in the Midwest and it wasn't alone, there were a lot like this, but this particular one left styles of, um, of furniture and left some hymns like Tis a Gift to be Simple. Um, they left us a lot of their theology and some of their buildings, and so we can understand more about them. But we don't have shakers today because they believe marriage was a sin and sex was a sin, and therefore, even if you're married, all the men in this dormitory, all the women in this dormitory, no touching. Because of this, we have no shakers today. Because if you don't make babies, your faith probably won't survive you. They thought they could call the world to this lifestyle and then Jesus would come back. So did the United Community. So many others tried this in the 17, 18, and 1900s. 
I'm sure somebody's trying it now. God never said don't have sex. He just didn't. He said don't sin sexually. It's a very different thing. So this is, a, this is an assertion and a response. Paul says you said it is good for a man not to touch a woman or have sex with a woman. But, and here comes the answer, since sexual immorality is occurring, in other words, there's gonna be sex. Each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. And again, the NIV expands it here. Each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman should have sexual relations with her own husband. Though note he doesn't say intercourse here. Um, sexual contact can take many forms. And as people age or different diseases hit, they may have to adjust the way they have sexual contact. But to, to the people of this age and to the people in scripture, sexual um, sex was a, a gift to married people that was supposed to be a lifetime gift or pretty much a lifetime gift. And he's saying, keep it there, all right? And he's not saying, well, you know, you guys are gonna get all messed up anyway, so you may as well get married. He's saying, no, you're gonna find out. He's a real proponent of marriage. Even though Paul was not married at this time, we know he wasn't married from this time to his death. We do not know that he had not been previously married and either divorced or, or deserted or uh, widowed. We don't know. He never addresses that, and we don't need to, all right? Because it's just people have made theologies out of this, and they've taken they they've gone the Eve route. Well, we can't even touch it. Well, let's back up. We can't even look at it. I want you to touch it. Okay, we can't be in that county. You know, you just keep building. You know, don't do that. Each man should have his own wife. Each wife should have her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to the wife and likewise the wife to her husband. By the way, this is amazingly forward thinking for the time, that the woman had rights to sexual pleasure and to be involved physically with her husband. The woman had rights and the man had rights. Well, you know, okay, the man had rights. It was a man's world and people were, you know what men did. But women weren't supposed to cover all up and be hidden in the house and just be servants of their, their husband. No, she has rights. Even physical pleasure rights. And he's saying, men, direct your attention that way. Women, direct your attention that way. And then he's gonna go further. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. Well. All religions said that, and the Greeks said that, and the Egyptians said that, and they didn't say the next thing. The husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. I belong to Jesus, and I belong to Miss Cammie. I don't belong to anybody else. That's who I belong to. And this is not a uh, Descartian split here, and, and as Cammy owns my body and Jesus owns my No, this is all wrapped up. This is a knot, and it was built that way on purpose. This is why, and a lot of people say such kind things, and thank you, Miss Cammy and I 
are very open about our love for each other and the way we treat each other is very, very plain to see. Well, we don't do that because we're perfect people. We do it because she's God's daughter and one day I'm gonna to have to talk to him about how I treated her. And I'm God's son and she's gonna to have to talk to him about how she treated me. We are gonna treat each other according to the reality that this is a creation of God and a gift to me and I to her and she to me. So it's reciprocal. Now, it's not that I have to give 50% and she gives 50%. It's I give 100% and she gives 100%. It's the only way this works. Only way it works. And then he goes even further. He could not be further from the Corinthians who said, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. Have you noticed how far away from them he is here? And then he says, do not deprive each other except perhaps, I love that they, he threw that in there, by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourself to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So one of us does not have the right to say, sex is over. No, it's gotta, we gotta find a way. We gotta find a way to work this because that's God's gift. And if you deprive the other, then there's still a sexual being. You've now increased danger in the home that there will be a problem down the road. Now that's not to say that some people uh, are not in a situation. Let's say that I were to have a stroke and be completely incapacitated. Well, what about Cammy now? And that whine that we've heard since the 80s. What about my needs? I think that all started with 30-something on television. Never watched it, but I heard enough about it to never watch it. Way back in the day, kids. What about my needs? Um, yeah, what about them? You have a duty. You have a responsibility. By the way, Cammy knows, without a shadow of a doubt, that if she became incapacitated, I'm not gonna go anywhere that she's my girl. I'm her guy, period. Why? God's law. And, and when you do God's law, it actually is pretty good. That's why Cammy and I, we just celebrated our 42nd anniversary two days ago. We still look at each other and grin several times a day. And we say nice things to each other several times a day because we feel them several times a day because God put us in a really wonderful place. This is a good thing. This is a great place to be. By the way, if you've messed up your life, had a hundred sexual partners, and now you're dating four people, and you're just, you've got all these ghosts and such in your head, you've been married five times, I'm not superior to you in any way. None. You need Jesus to forgive you, and I need Jesus to forgive me. Our sins may not be the same, but they are sins, and we have both fallen short of God. I will never judge you, and I do ask that you return that favor. Instead, I will tell you, it's a lot better to start where you are. It's kind of, kind of like smoking. Um, back in the day, cigarettes were everywhere, and they were in vending machines, you know, they were, and, and kids had them, and, there are, and in some countries, by the way, they still are. And the government decided to really start throwing some 
uh, cautions out there. And so they pulled cigarette advertising because it was everywhere. Uh, and young kids, the doctors would come on and say, this is good for you. These Chesterfields are great for your throat. Well, they weren't. So when people said, well, I've been smoking for 40 years. If I stop now, it's not gonna help. And the, the response was, the day you stop, the cells in your body fight to get better. So whatever you can do, do it now and you'll, your body will work to get better. And so I would say to any of you that are thinking, well, I read this and it's, it's hopeless, I'm too far gone. No, no, let's start now following Jesus and see, you're gonna be surprised at how much of your life he can redeem. Then Paul says, I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that gift. What, what is he talking about there? He's saying, I'm not ordering you to get married. What I am saying is that God, God has given you that appetite, stomach for the food, food for the stomach, that sexual appetite for a reason. But you don't have to be married. You could be like Paul. Now, again, there's another option I talked about. We don't know if Paul was married. Um, we know he never got married in this time frame. And from the time we met him till the time he died, he was not married. We don't know if he was married before and she died, married before and they were divorced, married and she deserted. Very common, by the way, and he will address desertion here. Uh, we'll look at that next week because we're really, we're hitting our, our wall here. Paul, there's another option. Paul might have been non-sexual, asexual. Um, he believed that he was Lord Mountbatten, uh, Lord Mountbatten was his name. And he did seem to be asexual, had zero really interest in it. Uh, although I'm sure he did his duty. Um, one prostitute or courtesan said that she was going to uh, write a book or write an article or go to the newspapers about how they'd had a, an affair. Well, he knew nobody would believe her. So he said, publish and be damned. So there are people who are non-sexual. And if Paul's referring to that gift, cool. Well, we'll look more at it next week. God bless you. I pray that you have a great week. Come see us at rsafeharbor.com. Come see us at the sound stage if you'd like. And if you can't, tune in online, check in and let us know you're there. May God bless you. Have a great week.